Awesome. How are we doing, church? Good. <laughs> One person is doing good. This is great. <laughs> great to be here this Sunday, church. So good. So good. Hey, who's enjoying school holidays? About two people. All the rest of the people are like, get the kids out of my house again. Hurry up. <laughs> Hurry up and get them out. I love that. I love that. Hey, this morning, church, would you stand with me again as we just read the Word of God this morning? We're going to be reading some scripture this morning from 1 Genesis. We're going all the way back to the start, right to the start of the Bible. And if I haven't met you before, my name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here with my wife, Jackie, at C3, and it's great to have you here. If you're here for the first time, a huge, huge welcome to you. And I know that being school holidays, a lot of our family are online as well. So a huge hello to you guys, wherever you are, wherever you're traveling. I hope you stay safe, and we can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks when you get back. But hey, this morning, we're going right to the start of the Bible. We're going to 1 Genesis, and it says, In the beginning, everyone say, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. And darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed and morning came marking the first day. And this is the part I want you to to tune into right here. Verse 6 says, And then God said, Let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of heaven from the waters of earth. Let there be space between the waters. And that is what happened. Verse 7 says, God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. That's good. That's good. Everyone say my sermon and title to the person next to you this morning. It's life between chaos. Life between chaos. Can anyone relate to living life between chaos? Anyone at all? (laughs) A couple of people, hey? I can relate to that. Why don't you just grab a seat this morning, church? Man, sometimes I find myself in the middle of the chaos of life. I bet so many of us do that. Man, parenting kids can bring chaos, can't it? Especially during school holidays. I work in events as well, and man, that can bring chaos. Adrian here knows that as well, better than anyone, and man, events can bring chaos. And Joe as well at the back, who works in photography doing for events as well. Man, it can bring chaos at events. You get pulled in every direction at once. Um, and sometimes your whole agenda can go out the window because you've got to work in a place of being reactive because you don't really like, you don't have the ability with events to leave it for tomorrow. It's not like you can be like, oh, I'll just come back to this tomorrow and set it up then because it doesn't work. Like the event is today. So you've got to get it done. You've got to get it done. The deadline moves. Anyone in events knows that it can feel like chaos behind the scenes no matter how prepared you are and how prepared you feel. But who's ever felt like this, right? Check out this meme. Elmer, flick this meme up for us, sir, please. That moment when you look around at all the stuff that needs to be done, I feel so overwhelmed that you sit down and leisurely scroll through your phone instead. Can anyone relate to that? Guess what I was doing when I found this meme? 100%. 100%. 100% procrastinating. That's exactly what I was doing. I love that. Mandalorian's great, isn't it? But hey, look, I think, I think we're living in an age where everything is instant and urgent, isn't it? It's instant and it's urgent, and that kind of makes life feel more chaotic. It's, it's like we're beyond the microwave generation now. I think it's faster paced than that. I think we're living in a world that's so fast paced that chaos is becoming totally normal, isn't it? 
especially after COVID, everything is ramped back up. It's like everything is moving so quick. Just yesterday, I was, we, we were talking about what we're going to have for lunch at home. And um, we we're like, all right, we'll have a treat today. We're going we're gonna to have McDonald's today. And the kids were so excited. They were like pumped. They were like, yes, McDonald's, amazing. So um, our youngest newborn and, and Jackie stayed home. And I took the older two girls with me in the car, did the online app order and everything, hopped in the car. And Abby and Lily and I went for a drive. So five-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old and me in the car. And we, we, got to, we got to Macca's and there was about three cars in the line. We kind of missed the lunch rush. And I was like, sweet, this is awesome. Missed the lunch rush. This is great. Um, so we're waiting in the line, getting ready to tell them our code and that kind of thing. And Lily's like, there's so many cars, Dad. This is taking forever. I was like, dude, there's three cars. Are you for real? Chill out. Hang on. Just chill out a sec. So we, we get through, we give the code, all that kind of stuff, and we get to start driving through, and we go to the, almost to the window where we have to pay, and we're waiting for another car again. And she's like, Dad, this is taking forever. And I'm like thinking in my head, I'm like, man, what kind of a world do we live in where our kids complain about the wait for fast food? Like, seriously, I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Anyway, we got to the end, got to the end of the drive through got our food, and then realized, oh, no, we're missing a meal. We're missing a meal. This is not good, right? This is not good. Anyone who's had kids knows that if you're missing a meal when you come through drive through that's not going to go well. So we got there and Lily's like, what do you mean we're missing a meal? And I'm like, I'll oh, check the order. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I mucked it up. Maybe the app did it. I don't know. Something's missing. We're missing a meal here. And she's like, oh, well, can we just go home? I just want to eat my food. I'm like, no, everyone needs their lunch, Lily. Everyone needs their food. And then we get out to the car park and check it. And guess whose food's missing? It's Lily's. And she's like, oh, we have to go back, Dad. We have to go through again. We have to go through again. Isn't it funny how that changes? So we go through again. Her tone completely changed at that point. She was still pretty, you know, annoyed that we had to go through again. It's a little five-year-old going, come on, really? We have to go through again, Dad? But she, she wanted her Maccas, so we went through again. But I tell you what, by the end of the second drive-through, Abby, who already had her food, was losing the plot. She, it, was, it was chaos in that car. It was absolute chaos, but I was kind of blown away at the expectation for my kids that everything was going to be instant. Everything was going to be instant. They thought you could just have it like that. And I think everything in this day and age is available so instantly that it's conditioned us to expect things fast. We've got to the point where, like, think about this, right? If you're below 30, then you might not remember some of these things. But get this, right? Remember when we had to go to a library for answers for something? You remember that? We had to go to a library and find the right book to find the answers to something. We couldn't just whip out our phone and Google it. Remember when we had to dial up our 56K internet connection, our dial-up connection and, and wait for it to connect? Everyone remembers the sound in their head, right? We're all hearing it, 100%. And then also on top of that, what if someone had to make a phone call while you're on the internet? They had to wait. They had to wait forever to, to make that phone call because you couldn't make a phone call at the same time as you connected to the internet unless you were fancy and had two lines. Remember when a great Saturday night was going to maybe Blockbuster or Video Easy, or if you lived in Port here, Video 2000 back in the day, to get a copy of a DVD to watch. It was one movie. It was such a journey, wasn't it? Walk in the store to find that one DVD that the whole family could agree on. We didn't have access to Netflix or Disney Plus or all of this library instantly available on demand. How about before text messages? Remember living in an age before texts and mobiles when you couldn't contact everyone 24-7? You had to like call someone from your landline. Isn't that a crazy concept? <laughs> you had to call someone from your landline in your lounge room. And I remember being a kid and everyone in the family is hearing your conversation because it's cabled. You can't take the phone away. And then if you had like another phone plugged in the same line, your siblings like sitting there listening in on the conversation in another room, right? And I remember that. 
Totally. But look, man, we live in such an instant world now, don't we? We forget about all of that. But I think here's where the tension lies, right? I think it's not actually the chaos is the thing that we should be focusing on here, but it's actually the gap in between moments of chaos. Chaos, chaos, and what's in the gap in between that? What's in the gap between the chaos? And maybe the word chaos sounds a little extreme to you. That's cool. Maybe your world doesn't feel like life is chaotic. Maybe it just feels busy. And if that's you, then you're welcome to swap the word out. This is still going to apply in that sense. But I think no matter your age, this is going to apply to you in some way. And I was thinking about it and thinking, well, man, if Jesus 2,000 years ago, before all of these technological advancements, like just in the past like 20 years, right, all of these technological advancements, before that, he took time out. He made time between moments of chaos to pause. If he had to do that, then I think so do we, especially in this age now more than ever. But over the next three weeks, if God allows it, I really want to focus on this concept of, of thinking about this moment of life between chaos, of unpacking that and looking at a couple of different Bible characters and going, well, how do they deal with this? What are they doing? How do they actually deal with this? But I really think that the beauty and the teaching of this lies here, not in the chaos, but in the gap in between the moments of chaos. So that's what we're going to be looking like. In a world where the gaps between one chaotic moment to the next moment is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, I think it's even more important that we're focusing on these gaps, that we intentionally take this brief moment to be inside the gap. Because we've got to be there. We can't just let it pass us by. And man, I, I struggle here personally, right? There's been moments in my life where I find it so hard to switch off and just be. Can anyone else relate to that in this day and age where you feel just so chaotic Maybe you can relate, but like there, there are times where I'm past the point of just being busy. And, and man, it's funny because like then I get to that moment of this gap and I start to feel guilty that I'm pausing. Can anyone else relate to that? You just suddenly feel guilty when you're taking this moment out. You're taking a moment to pause. And I don't, I don't actually know how to stop. And then I start feeling lost in that moment because I'm like, I'm going to pause. But now what? Now what? And you feel guilty and anxious because you're pausing for being unproductive. And then I've got to like stop and think. And sometimes like when I get in this mode, I'm like, man, what are my hobbies again? Isn't it funny when you get to that stage, you lose yourself in that so much. It was funny, last time we took holidays at the start of this year, we had a three-week block off and it was amazing. But it took almost the entire three weeks before I actually felt like I was on holiday. It took me like two and a half weeks before I finally turned off and went, all right, I'm on holiday mode. And I bet so many of us in this, in this moment really feel that too because that really was the first really big holiday block that a lot of us got after COVID. That's when we finally hit that reset. So the question that we start with then is, well, what is chaos in the Bible? What is it actually defined as? Well, my friend Wikipedia here, my friend Wikipedia, I didn't have to go to a library. My friend Wikipedia told me this. This is what it says. Chaos is the mythological void state preceding the creation of the universe, the cosmos in Greek, creation myths. And this is where it gets cool. In Christian theology, the same term is used, get this, to refer to the gap or the abyss created by the separation of heaven and earth. The same term is used to refer to the gap or the abyss created by the separation of heaven and earth. So let's come back for a moment to our locating scripture, right? We're coming back to verse 6 in our locating scripture here. And this is what it says. Then God said, let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. 
Verse 7, and this is what happened. God made this space, God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of heavens. Now, water can be calm, but water can also be chaotic, can't it? Water can be crazy at the same time. And I think most of the time in my life, it's when two chaotic moments are colliding and there's very little gap that I feel the craziest. It's in that moment when they collide. It's almost like the waters of the heavens and the waters of the earth colliding together in chaos. That's when it gets the craziest. And I think God recognized this too. I think he was smart about this. I think he realized that there needed to be a gap there. And I think that it's about the gap in the moments between the chaos. That's why he created a void. He created a gap. So knowing this, now that we know this, I want to look at King David today. Who knows King David? Who's heard the story David and Goliath? Yeah, we're going to look at a little bit of David's story today. And David's story is huge. It is so big. There is so much content in David's story. It's an amazing story. So if you get the chance, have a look in in 1 Samuel. It is a phenomenal story to unpack. We're only going to go really quite shallow today in it because I want to really hone in one particular moment. But before that, before that, I want to look at how really King David manages tension between the chaos in the gap in his own life. Let's dive in. Let's do it. So the first thing I want to do is paint a picture of David for you. Because you really got to understand the context of David to understand where we're going with this passage. So let's catch you up on the life of David. If you've never heard of David before, then we're going to speed you up to it. And we're going to spend a couple of minutes going through this because I really want you to get this understanding. It's really important for the, for the text. So we're going to do a really fast-paced flyover of his life. But it's believed a lot that King David foreshadowed Jesus in the Bible as well. Because there's so many places where you can actually read into it and it, it's almost a similar story to Jesus in a lot of ways. So just like Jesus, he was born in Bethlehem. He was born around 907 BC, so you know, 900 years before Jesus. And one of his, he was one of the 12 sons of Jesse, so he had 11, 11 other brothers. It says that he was red-cheeked, bright-eyed, and a handsome young man who used to tend to his father's sheep. So he was a shepherd. He used to tend to his father's sheep. And around this time, Saul had actually become the first king of Israel. But soon he sinned, and he fell from divine grace. Now, the prophet Samuel, as was directed by God, then anointed David as the king of Israel. So that happened down the track. But well before that, well before that, when David first met Saul, long before he was declared king, David and King Saul first met when there was an evil spirit that was tormenting King Saul. There was this evil spirit that was getting around him and just making life really bad. So Saul's advisors suggested that maybe King King Saul should bring in a skilled musician and maybe the musician would play for the king and then ease his mind a bit. So what happened was one of the people recommended David. One of Saul's guys basically said, hey, there's this young guy named David. He's really great. He's a really skilled musician. We should bring him in. So at that point, David came in and he played music for King Saul. Now, King Saul at this point had no idea. Imagine this. He had no idea that this young boy playing before him was actually going to take his throne one day. That's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? That this young kid who's just playing his harp, trying to calm down King Saul, was actually going to be the king one day. That's amazing. But then from there, we go into the story of David and Goliath. Now, a lot of people have heard of this story before. But King Saul was, was currently battling the Philistines. The Philistines were longtime enemies of Israel. They were enemies. And each day there was this massive Philistine giant named Goliath. And he would appear on a hill between the two armies. And it says that his words came roaring down like thunder. And this is what his words were. Why should you come out and engage in battle? I am the Philistine champion. 
and you are Saul's servant. Choose one of your men and let him come down against me. If he overcomes me in combat and kills me, we will become your slaves. But if I best him and kill him, then you shall be our slaves and serve us. So that was Goliath every day. Goliath was a giant. He was a massive giant. And there wasn't a single man in Saul's army that would actually accept this challenge. There wasn't one person. So this went on for 40 days. It went on for 40 mornings and 40 evenings. And then young David approached the giant with just a staff, a slingshot, and five stones. And with one shot, this young boy David, one shot, he killed the giant, cut off his head, and took it to King Saul and said, here you go. Problem solved. The Philistines then fled and David became this national hero. He was known by all. He was this amazing kid who had just killed this massive giant that no other man would touch. 40 days and 40 nights, this guy had been tormenting, tormenting them. And David just walks in and kills him. Now, there's so much more you can unpack from that story, but that's, that's another message, definitely. But then we move into, um, at that point, David becomes really good friends. He becomes best friends with Jonathan, who is King Saul's son. And that helps him out a little bit later. Side note. But then David becomes more of a warrior. He pushes more into being more of a warrior because Saul appoints him in the army as a commander. And Saul became so fond of David that he wouldn't actually let him go home. He stayed there with him this whole time. He wouldn't let him return home. He kept him there. And David did whatever Saul asked without fail. David was so successful in Saul's army that in 1 Samuel 18, it actually says this, verse 6, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all over the towns of Israel came to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. So they've come to meet King Saul, right? This was the song, right? Saul has killed thousands, but David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and only me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. And verse 9 says, So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So that's when things started to shift in Saul's world. King Saul's world. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day because remember, David was staying with him. But Saul had a spear in his hand. And he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. It says twice. Like one time, it's like, oh, sorry, sorry. I I was just throwing it over there, right? But twice? That's, That's pretty specific, isn't it? Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David. And he turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over 1,000 men. And David faithfully led his troops into battle. Verse 14, David continued to succeed in everything he did for the Lord was with him. And when Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful in leading the troops into battle. So he was the crowd favorite. So then after that, God continued granting David lots of success in battle. Every time he went into a battle, he came out more victorious than anyone else. And Saul started to get really fearful that David's fame and power was, was going to take Saul's throne away from him. And this led to a complete war between the two men. Like it got full on with like um, Saul really like plotting all of these different revenges and, and deaths around David's life and trying to kind of kill him. Even in, in battle, he would like intentionally send him into battles and stuff um, where he thought he was going to fail and die. 
and it didn't happen. It, it was even a point where David was trying to, David wanted to marry one of Saul's, um, wife, uh, one of Saul's daughters. And um, from there, Saul made some ridiculous thing. Like he said, you have to get 200 foreskins of my enemies in order to do that. And David did it. That's the crazy thing. Saul was like, surely he's going to die. Surely they're going to kill him when he goes out to that. But David did it. Under God's hand, David did it. And this is really where I want to pinch and zoom in on today because this crazy war between these two men ended up with David running away and finding refuge in a cave. He was hiding in a cave. What a place of chaos to be in. Could you imagine you're so successful that your boss and your father-in-law is actively trying to kill you with the entire army of the nation? That's a pretty scary concept, isn't it? Could you just imagine what David would be going through in the chaos in the middle of that? And I think this is where it's so hard for us, you know. We can relate to this because finding calm in a chaos like this is hard. David would have been feeling this like crazy. And my thoughts are that, like, when I'm thinking about this, when I tend to be in chaos, my chaos jumps from one thing to another. It's jumping back and forth. And my brain is moving so quickly. I'm thinking, you know, what's happened? What's going to happen? What could happen? What needs to happen? Like I'm jumping between all of these things at once. And I found that I need to continually focus on bringing my thoughts back to a safe place where I can try and regain some clarity because that's what I need in that moment. David's also known as, as someone who wrote the majority of the Psalms in the Bible. Now, these are songs or hymns. If you haven't read this before, it's a book in the Bible that's full of them and it's beautiful. But if you didn't know it as well, if you're particularly new, then you, you might not know that the Bible is written by lots of different authors. There's lots of different people that, uh, that wrote each kind of book of the Bible. And the Psalms, we believe that, that David wrote most of these. But Psalm 57 is actually written by David when he's in the cave. He's actually in this cave hiding. And this is, this is the key, I think, friends. This is the key to managing the gap of when we're between chaos. This is so cool. This is what Psalm 57 says. This is what it says. A Psalm of David regarding the time he fled from Saul and went into the cave. To be sung to the tune, do not destroy. Now, we don't know that tune today. That has been lost over time. But how cool would it be if we had that tune to know what this should actually sound like? I don't mean as a muser, I'm like, I would love to know the tune of how this should be sung, how this should sound. It would just be super cool. But anyway, this is, this is what it says. And this is what he wrote. First one. First one. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. So the first thing he's doing here is he's asking God to have mercy on him twice. And then he asks him for protection and asks him to shelter until the danger or chaos passes by. And I don't think this is hiding because it's easy for us to look at this as hiding, isn't it? And go, oh, he's just hiding from the chaos. And that's not helpful either. But I actually think he's intentionally seeking a gap between chaos and asking God to protect that gap for him. I think he realizes the importance of that moment that he needs to stop in the chaos and just be for a second, be with God. Verse 2 says, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. Now note that that's his purpose, not David's purpose, but God's purpose for his life, God's will. And he's asking him to fulfill that. We need to make sure that we're letting God drive. We've got to make sure that we're letting God drive so he can fulfill his purpose for us. Because that's the other thing it says. It actually says that God will fulfill it, not us. 
Sometimes I think, you know, we can pray that prayer of salvation and we ask God to drive, but then we continually take back the steering wheel. Who can relate to that? We're like, no, 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 that's not happening quick enough, God. Let's take this right turn here. It's going to get us there quicker. And God's going, all right, I'm not going to steal it off you, but yeah, sure, you do that. You do that. I think it's also really interesting in verse 1. He's talking to God, but in verse 2, the writing switches to be about God. That's really interesting to me. Verse 1, he says, I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings. Verse 2, he says, I cry out to God the Most High, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He's not saying I cry out to you, God. He's saying I cry out to God. So that is really interesting for me as well. Verse 3, he will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. And then there's an interlude. I think this is like a harp solo. That would be kind of cool. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows and whose tongues cut like swords. I think this is him saying my enemies are so much stronger than me. I think he's believing that this massive army that's coming for him is going to be ready to pounce on him and devour him. How many of us feel like when we're between chaotic moments that seeking refuge in our situations, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're kind of trying to seek that refuge and try and find that space because we feel like our situations are ready to devour us. Verse 5 says, Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. And this is where it gets really interesting because he goes back to talking about God here again instead of speaking about him, but he remembers the bigger picture. Because he finishes that verse and saying, may your glory shine all over the earth. He's not talking about his situation anymore at all. He's completely left his situation aside. He remembers the bigger picture. He gets above the situation and lays it down to look at a bigger perspective. He asks for God's glory to shine all over the earth, not just the cave, not just the army, not just the situation he's in, but all over earth. And I think when we pray to God in the chaos, God helps us to put things in perspective. Verse 6, my enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path. But get this, this is where it shifts as well. But they themselves have fallen into it. How do we go from a moment of complete despair now to him going, they've dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. What a perspective shift. That's so backwards compared to five verses ago. I think David knew chaos well by this point in his life. He knew it up close and personal, but this is such a turning point in this. Somehow being in conversation with God has shifted his perspective completely. And this is what God does. He puts things into a godly perspective for us. And that's incredible. Isn't that so much bigger than our tunnel vision perspective? He then says, I'm weary from distress. So he's acknowledging that he's tired. Yeah, he's tired and, and no doubt afraid, absolutely. But then it takes a turn in that the enemy's weapon is used against them. They dig a pit and they're going to fall in it. It all shifts from here in a different direction, right? Because there's another harp interlude, another harp solo here. And then verse 7 says, My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. What a complete backflip. 
It's like he reaches this point of realization that with God, anything's possible and he's not alone there. It's like God is speaking to him through this. And I kind of wonder how long there is in these interludes. I wonder if these harp solos are actually God speaking to him and going, this is what's happening. This is where you're at. I'm here for you. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to look after you. Verse 8 says, Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. Now he's motivating himself. Wow. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. So what do we know, right? What do we know? I think when we're in a moment of chaos, it's important for us to make a gap between the chaos and ask God to protect that moment. We've got to make this gap and carve it out and then ask God to protect that moment in time so we can spend intentional time with him. Ask him to remove the distractions. That time is so important. And then number two, we have to make sure that we align with his will, not ours. That's what David does. He aligns with God's will, not his will. He moves from going, I need help here in my cave, to going, no, I'm part of this bigger picture. That's more important than me. When we fix our eyes and heart on Jesus, we can suddenly see so much further than the cave we're in. We suddenly see well beyond that. We see his bigger purpose, which realigns our perspective on our situation. It's so important for us to realize that we're all going to wake up in a cave at some point in our life. Let's be honest. At some point, we're going to wake up in a cave. It might be, I mean, you might be in a cave of medical diagnosis right now. You might be in a cave of feeling betrayed. You might be in a cave of financial hardship. You might be in a cave of unfulfilled expectations. There's so many caves that we can find ourselves waking up in. But I think when life leads you to a place like this, we've got to remember David's example here because it would have been so easy for him to blame God for all of this. How easy would it have been for him to just be like, hey God, why are you doing this to me? I've had enough. That would be so simple, wouldn't it? And I can imagine that if I was in his situation, I'd be questioning what God's doing as well. But instead what he does is he pours his heart out to God and then he trusts in him. He pours his heart out and he says, but God, you know better. You know better in this situation. He fixes his heart on God's faithfulness, which in turn gives him confidence. It gives him courage and it gives him hope for a good outcome under God's control. That's phenomenal. I think no matter how hard the situation is that we're facing in our own worlds, let's fix our heart on God and praise him there. I think this will lead us back to that safe place of clarity that we're looking for clarity and hope and I think this will lead us to a place where we can find calm between the chaos and find his purpose for our life and if we're calm between the chaos and as we go into the chaos we're going to be in a much better situation there's one more thought that I really I want to share with you this morning if you think about the shift in David's perspective during his prayer during the psalm it's almost like the spirit of God was already there hovering over the top of the gap just waiting to be acknowledged. It's like the Spirit of God was just there already. And check this out. Back in Genesis 1, this is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, why is that so profound, you say? You say, cool, 
The Spirit of God's hovering over the water. That's great. Remember verse 6. Verse 6 and verse 7. This is what it said. And then God said, Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And this is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. If the meaning of chaos in the gap between heaven and earth is this gap described as the waters... And if verse 2 says the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, then this means that we'll find God in the gap. We'll find God in the gap between the chaos hovering there, waiting for us. That's where He is. He's waiting for us to come to that place with Him. He's waiting for us to be there. Would you stand with me this morning, church? That's where He is. He's in that gap. He's hovering and He's waiting. So I'd like to prompt you with two questions this morning. And the first one is, how are you intentionally making a gap for God today? What are you doing in your own world to make sure that between your chaos, you're getting some time with God, that you're carving some space to be in a gap? And this is as much for me as everyone else. I need to do more of this too. And what one thing are you doing to make sure you have this gap? What's one practical thing you do? Is it waking up five minutes earlier? Is it deciding at night time before you go to bed, you're going to intentionally spend this time with Him? Is it coming to Thursday night prayer here at church? How are you going to pause for that moment so you can go to that place where He already is, where He's waiting for you, where He's hovering over the surface? Imagine if we did this regularly. Imagine if in between the chaos, we intentionally made space for Him today in this gap. Imagine if he was speaking into our lives, if we're giving him that moment, that gap every day, just to have some time with him and let him speak into our worlds. How different would our world be? And I I don't know about you, but I want to do this before I get to the cave. I want God to speak into me before I get to the cave, because that's when I need it the most. I want to take that with me, not try and scramble and find it when I'm there. Lord, this morning, we just thank you that no matter the situation, we can focus on you and you're there. You are an ever-present God and you're there. You are so worthy of our praise, no matter the circumstance that we're in. We remember David's heart, where he came to you and he trusted you, no matter what the situation looked like. It's so easy, Lord, for us to remember when things are going well that you're there. But somehow when things get hard, Lord, that's when we find ourselves not coming to you. So Lord, help us to remember, Father, that you're there when we're in the cave. Help us to remember that you're just hovering above the surface in the gap and help us remember that that's where we can find you, that that's where you are. Lord, I pray for those today that are in a cave, Father. I pray for anyone this morning who is in the cave at the moment, Lord. I pray that they find refuge in you, Father that they can come to you in this gap, Lord, and they'll find you. You give them direction. You give them love. You give them faith, Father, that you will level up their world. So church, there's some of us this morning that may not have surrendered ourselves to Christ in the first place. So he can't start doing this work in you yet. If you haven't stretched out your arms and said, Lord, save me. Lord, I want to know you. I want to start a relationship with you. I want to be able to find you in the gap. I want you to guide my life. I want you to take the steering wheel. 
If that's you, if you've never done that, then I'm going to give you a moment to do that today in just a sec. What I'm going to do is ask you to raise your hand. Every eye is going to be shut. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You can pop your hand up. I'll see it. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it down again after I've acknowledged it. And then we're going to pray a prayer together. Now, the prayer isn't magical or anything like that. This prayer is just a declaration. If you're deciding, you know what? I want God in my gap. I want to be there with Him. I want Him to be a part of my world. He's hovering there. All you have to do is reach out to Him. That's all you've got to do. So I'm going to pray for three kinds of people. The first is someone who may have never known Jesus before. You may be going, you know what? This is my time. I want to know Jesus. I want Him in my gap. I want to know Him. It might be someone who once knew Jesus. Maybe you went away from Him. Maybe something happened that broke you apart from the church. I don't know. Whatever it is, maybe you knew Him at once and you don't know Him now. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come back to Him this morning. And the third type of person is someone who maybe you followed Him for years. Maybe you followed Him all your life. But you don't know if you're actually going to heaven. I want to give you assurance this morning that you are going to heaven. So in a moment now, with every eye shut, every head bowed, if you want to make this decision today, this amazing life-changing decision of coming to Jesus, would you just shoot your hand in the air? If that's you this morning and you're just going, you know what? This is my day. God's calling me and I want to start this relationship with Him. Just pop your hand up in the air this morning. That's all you have to do. All we're doing is just reaching out and going, you know what, God? I want this for my life. And if you're online, you can do that as well. If you're online, we have chat hosts on there who will connect with you. You're one of these three kinds of people. Just shoot your hand up in the air. That's good. So we're going to pray a prayer together this morning to remind us all of this declaration. This is how it goes. Would you pray this with me? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Saviour of the world. I believe He died and rose again to forgive my sin and give me life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. Make me new. I'll follow you. That's so good. And if anyone just prayed that prayer for the first time, congratulations. Can we have a huge round of applause for anyone that may have prayed it for the first time, whether you're here in the room or you're online. If that's you, then man, that is the best decision you'll ever make in your life. And I please, I urge you to come and find me, Adrian. Come and find someone you've seen on stage or anywhere today. Um, we really want to help you on this next stage in your journey. We've got some resources. We've got a pack we want to give you, including a Bible and some other bits. We really just want to help you and spur you on in this journey. So please come and find us. Hey, thank you so much for watching. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing from our channel. And share with a friend because you never know who you're going to bless. You can also catch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30am Australian Western Standard Time. We'd love to see you there.